Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. All right, so we're in a series called Facts, Frequently Asked Questions. This is uh, season two of our series, Facts. Um, And the first time we did it, we asked, uh, or we basically answered a bunch of questions. We sort of did a survey, some poll um, through a link, also on Instagram. We got questions, like some of the thoughts that um, we had or you guys had just about life and faith and things like that. This time around, we did it a little different, where we're asking you guys questions. If you follow the factory on Instagram, um, it's been asking questions. People have been answering it, and then we're doing our best to sort of answer that question based upon some of the answers that you guys have been um, giving. And so tonight we're asking and hopefully answering this question What do you associate with the presence of God? What do you associate with um, the presence of God? Now, um, do we have the, the verses? They're in there. So if you search, Oh, they're in there because I put them in. Um, they're in. If you search facts, F-A-Q-S, it should be in there. In the, in the little library search bar. There's four people back there looking, so they'll find it. You seeing it? Sorry. It's just, there's, I've got a lot of verses, and I feel like it'll be helpful. We got it? Amen. Shout out tech team. Thank you guys. I'm, that was my bad. I'm sorry about that. Um, all right. So what do you associate with the presence of God? This is a, um, a good question for us to ask because I, I, don't, I think there's a lot of talk about the presence of God. We, we, talk, we expect him to meet with us when we gather. We believe that when we show up on a night like tonight, that it's not just a lecture, it's not just normal, but we believe that we're actually encountering the living God. That the same way that God would tabernacle with his people in the Old Testament in a physical tabernacle, the New Testament tells us that God wants, actually, the New Testament tells us in John 1 that Jesus actually was himself the tabernacle of God. Or in other words, it said that uh, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with flesh and then the, the, the word became flesh and then it says we beheld his glory and that he, uh, he lived among us. And that idea is that he tabernacled with us. That God's presence showed up in the life of Jesus. And then the New Testament also tells us that we are the tabernacle or the temple of the living God. That God actually makes his home within us. So that when we gather there's an expectation Expectation that we're going to encounter the presence of God. But what does that look like? What does that feel like? What, is, what, is, what are the, some of the connection points to that? And have we ever, maybe for you, maybe church is new to you, this whole experience is new to you, have you ever experienced the presence of God? What does it look like? So we're going to basically talk about this idea. Hopefully it'll make sense by the time we're done. Sound good? All right. Um, John 16, verse 7, Jesus is speaking. It's interesting, this is the same chapter that we read from last week when Jesus talked about in this world we have trouble, but uh, uh, he leaves us with peace. The, The connection of his presence is associated with the peace that he offers us. That's important. So last week's message and this teaching is connected because the presence of God and the peace of God are connected. John 16, this is earlier before the passage last week. He says this, nevertheless, everyone say nevertheless. I just wanted you to say that because that's not really a word we use very often in, in normal conversation. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is Judge. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now. And Lord, as we're talking about your presence, we ask that it wouldn't just be a concept or an idea that we talk about, but we would encounter you tonight in a real way. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here and you're working. We ask that you would do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, a couple months ago, I was gone at work. And uh, I, you know, a little bit uh, you need to know about me is that I, I don't really like change. I don't like when things change. I like structure. Now, um, a little confession. Uh, my, I see a therapist, and my therapist tells me to not say that I hate change. Um, she says that that's, like, not good language to use. You should start saying, I appreciate change and the opportunity that change is going to bring about for me. That's, that's not a lie. That's what she tells me. Anyways, um, so I appreciate change, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity that change is going to bring for me. But don't tell her I hate change. Um, and I don't like, it's so goofy, but I don't like furniture to be rearranged. I like things to just be the same. This is how we set them up. That's how it's going to be till we die. Well, one day um, I was gone at work and, I, and Hannah decided that um, she's kind of like you give a mouse a cookie. So it's like she loves change. And it's not just like, oh, we're going to move like one picture in the house. We're going to change everything. So I come home and uh, she, she had ripped out the, they're like the sliding blinds over our window. So we have this big window in our living room that looks right at our couch and on our TV. It's like a, faces the street. And these blinds kind of give us a little bit of privacy from the entire neighborhood. She's like, they're gone. Whole blinds come down. Well, on the way down, she knocks over one of the floating shelves that we have in the living room that has a bunch of, like, magazines and things like that. So floating shelf gone. So she's like, this is a good time to remove the floating shelf. So blinds are gone, so now we have no privacy. Shelves are gone, so now we have no storage. And she decides, do you know what? We need a tree that I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to in the living room. The trees belong outside, not in the living room. And so uh, there, all of this dramatic change and all of this hap happened in a couple of hours while I'm at work. I was gone for like a few hours and I come home and everything I love and know is gone. <laughs> it's destroyed. And the reason I'm saying all that is because my absence in my mind created chaos now, Jesus just made a statement. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the help of Holy Spirit won't come to you. And we think when Jesus says that, with Jesus leaving, it's going to bring chaos. But Jesus isn't promising absence, but more presence. This is important for us to understand. When Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I leave, Jesus isn't saying absence. Jesus isn't saying, okay, good luck trying to find me. You're left on your own. Jesus is saying by him leaving, he's actually promising more presence. He's promising us the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this idea because Jesus says it is actually to your benefit, to your advantage that I leave. Because if I leave, you're going to have more presence. 
You're going to have more experience, more closeness with God. So let's talk about this. Number one, what is the presence of God? When we talk about this, what do we mean? Now, the presence of God is the spirit of God. We call him the Holy Spirit. This is the third person in the triune Godhead. We believe as professing professing Christians that there is one God made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if that confuses you, welcome to being a Christian. There's an aspect of the Trinity, one God, three persons, that is it's supposed to be confusing. Not supposed to be confusing. It just is confusing. It's God. So when we say the presence of God, we need to understand that the presence of God is not a what, but a who. He is the Holy Spirit. He is equal with God. He is equal as God, but unique in his function and role. The best description or the best sort of uh, uh, yeah, description of the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. So what is the presence of God is the wrong question. It is who is the presence of God. And the presence of God is the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises he will be with us. And he gives a bunch of descriptions of what he will do when he shows up. But Jesus made a a, a promise to the follower of Jesus that it's our benefit that he leaves because when he leaves, he will pour out his spirit. Now, one of the benefits to the fact that uh, he left is because Jesus was bound to one location at one time. He was a person like you and me, right? So when he was in Jerusalem, he wasn't in Vero Beach, Florida. You with me? Him ascending and leaving and pouring out the Holy Spirit giving us the Holy Spirit, God's connection to us, God's empowering presence, allows God to be here in Vero Beach, Florida, and everywhere else. We'll talk about that more. Number two, so that is who the presence of God is. Number two, where do we find the presence of God? Um, I've got a few thoughts on this. Where do we find the presence of God? Number one, we find him everywhere. We find the presence of God everywhere. Listen to this. This is Psalm 139. Uh, The psalmist says this. Where shall I go from your spirit or from your presence? Where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And this is funny language. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, okay, When was the last time you took the wings of the morning and dwelled in the uttermost part of the sea? You're like, okay. But even if I do that, like fairy tale land, I guess. Even if I do that, he says, uh, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me uh, may be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness as as light with you. The writer here says that God's presence is everywhere. There is no place that you can escape the spirit of God, the presence of God, the reality of God. There is no place removed from the presence of God. God is everywhere all the time. And it's important, especially when you feel lonely. 
especially when you feel isolated, especially when you feel unseen, especially when you feel like nothing is going your way. It is important for you to know that God will never leave you. God will never abandon you. And even if you feel lonely, let me tell you, God is with you. And there's a reality that even when we don't believe in God or experience God or see God, God is there. Because like the psalmist said, there is no place you can go that will escape you or exit you from the presence of God. And I think you need to be encouraged tonight knowing that God is with you all the time. And even when you're not thinking about him or even when you're, we're not doing things that are pleasing to him, God's still with you. But God is everywhere. There are places that allow for us to have more of an awareness of God's presence. But he's everywhere whether you realize it or not. Now let me tell you, there are, there are places that you can find yourself in that God's presence seems very distant. There, there, there's situations or there's decisions or there's actions that you can do that will make the presence of God seem like such a far removed thought. Now that doesn't mean God's not there, but it does mean our awareness of him has dwindled. But let me tell you, even there or even when I didn't think anybody was looking, he saw it. So that should like kind of scare us maybe a little bit, but also excite us in the fact that God is with us. He, he, he sees us even at our worst, and he still loves us. There's a song that just recently came out that says, I'm going to butcher the lyrics, but it says something to the effect of God is the one who um, knows me the most, no, knows me the best and loves me the most. Knows me the best. Nobody else knows you like God knows you, and he still loves you like nobody else could ever love you. Because there's no place you could go from God's presence. So he's everywhere. But also, let me tell you that God's presence is he meets with you in private. He meets with you in private. Listen to Psalm 91. It says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The idea of secret place is basically, it's a picture or an idea of being alone, isolated with God intentionally. Because listen to me, God is uniquely present when we go to him in private. God is uniquely present in your life when you go to him in private. When you decide, you know what, I'm going to set up, like the psalmist said, a secret place. A place that you meet with God. That could be your bedroom. That could be in the morning. That could be uh, uh, in your dining room with a cup of coffee if you're like me. That could be on your commute to school. That could be after school underneath that tree or wherever it is. It is a place that you say, I am going to dedicate this spot and this time to meet with God. And can I tell you that God wants to uniquely meet with you in private. That there are some things that God wants to reveal to you in your life and about him that can only be found in the secret place like he's talking about. When we go to him in private and God wants you to be with him and he wants you to build rhythms in your life and habits in your life that allow for you to meet with him by yourself. God's presence is in private, but number three, God's presence is also in public. Matthew chapter 18, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, listen to this, there am I among them. God is uniquely present when we're gathered in his name in public. 
And there are aspects of God's presence that can only be found in public. And there's aspects of God's presence that can only be found in private. So both are necessary in our relationship with God. If you think that the only time you're going to encounter God or experience God is once a week on a Thursday night, you're missing out on a huge part of God's plan for your life. God wants to meet with you. God actually, he doesn't need Nate with a microphone yelling at you for you to hear from God. You can open up God's word and say, God, would you speak to me here and now? And I can tell you from experience that God will speak to you through his word. All of a sudden you'll find hope or peace or you'll find exactly what you're thinking about or direction or, or, or purpose. Or you'll find it in your heart, the forgiveness that you needed to show love to that person across the room for you. Or whatever it is that God wants to meet with you in private as you go to him. But then also, we can't become isolated we, we can't become uh, completely introverted Christians or just like, oh, I don't need anybody else. It's just me and my Bible and Jesus. Because there's things that God wants to meet with us in public when we gather together in his name. So we meet in public and we worship and we open God's word. And that also means coffee with other Christians. It doesn't have to mean this, but public words. We're with other people talking about Jesus. God is everywhere. But he's uniquely present in private, and he's uniquely present in public. And it's important that we have that balance in our life. Okay, number three, what happens in the presence of God? So if we believe that God's everywhere, but then we also believe that he's uniquely present in private, but we also uh, recognize that God is uniquely present in public, what happens when God shows up? What happens when we encounter him in a public setting like this or we're alone in a private setting with God and are intentional with him? What happens when he shows up? A couple things. Back in our first verse in John chapter 16, it says this. And when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The first thing that happens in this text is that he will convict or convince the world of sin. Convict or convince the world of sin. Um, the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about him, the Holy Spirit is with everyone. Christians and non-Christians, the Holy Spirit is with everyone. How do I know that? Well, because we just read a verse that said God's Spirit is everywhere all the time. So he's with everyone, but he is in every believer, the Bible says that when we place faith in Jesus, that Christ dwells in us. The Spirit of God empowers us, makes us alive with God inside. And then the Bible also tells us that he comes upon anyone who would ask. So there's three sort of uh, manifestations, if you will, of the Spirit. He's with everyone, he's in every Christian, and he's upon everyone who asks. But part of the Holy Spirit's role in the world with everyone is drawing people to himself. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is drawing people into relationship with Jesus. And he's pointing people, the Holy Spirit with everyone is pointing people to find their need for Jesus. Now, I mentioned that God is one and he's three persons. It's interesting when you look at the scripture because um, each person of the Godhead, and I'm sorry if this is kind of confusing language, but I think this is an interesting thought. Each person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when they are 
at work, they're always pointing to a different person in the Godhead. Let me, let me explain. God the Father, when he speaks of Jesus, says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus says in his ministry that I do nothing of myself, but I do everything as God tells me to do. And the Holy Spirit's job in the world is pointing people to their need for Jesus. Do you see that perfect sort of like, uh, 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 it's, it's almost like a loving union within the Godhead. Each one, it's like that Spider-Man meme. I'm, that's probably horrible, but each one pointing to the other. Like, it's, it's not, it's this beautiful union of the Godhead and the Spirit's job in the world, part of his job is, is wooing or, or, or convincing people of their need for Jesus. That's why so many of you, when you've come to youth for the first time, maybe a friend invited you, kind of like Zio was talking about, there was already something going on inside of you. You were looking for something. You, you, were, you were trying to figure it out, and then it was all of a sudden like, okay, there it is. It clicks. It's because the Spirit of God already is, is working on your heart. He's trying to grab a hold of your life and, and show you your need for Jesus. And so the Spirit right now at work in our life is, is convincing us of our need for Jesus. And then if we're a follower of Jesus, not only is he convincing us for our need for salvation with Jesus, but he's also convicting us as we need to lay down things in total surrender to Jesus. You see that? That's why we come to church sometimes and we're, we're born again. We're followers of Jesus. We trust the Bible. We trust who God is. And yet we feel that little pressure point in our life of God saying, hey, you're still holding on to this and I want all of you. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart, convincing us of our need for Jesus. The second thing that happens when the Spirit of God is here is he gives us power to be a witness. Power to be a witness. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Spirit of God, he wants to come upon the life of the Christian. And he wants to empower you to do what? Empower you to do what? Be a witness of who? Come on, it's a Sunday school answer. Be a witness of who? Jesus. So God's Spirit wants to empower you not to lift things up over your head. Right, not to be like, uh, to have all the answers, not to be able to even like do miracles or things like that. Not that the Spirit of God doesn't do that. We'll get to that in a moment. But the point here is that God will empower you to be a witness of Jesus. The idea is that people would look at your life and see their need for Jesus as well. Just as the Spirit of God moving among people, wooing them to Jesus, he wants to use your life as an example of what it means to follow Jesus. That God wants to empower you, to give you the ability to walk with God and to point people to God. And we fail as Christians and as witnesses of Jesus when we attempt to do everything in our own strength. We must learn to rely on God in our lives. Okay, the third thing. Are you guys still with me? Okay. The third thing that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up is that there's freedom. 
freedom. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Listen, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is important for a lot of reasons. But the idea of freedom, he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The idea of freedom is to live in confidence with God, doing the things that God desires for us to do. Let me say, let me say, say what freedom is again, because this is helpful. Freedom is to live in confidence with God, meaning you are confident that God knows you and that God's for you. To live in confidence with God, doing the things that God desires for us to do. That's freedom. Freedom is not found, even though this is sort of the opposite of what we might hear in our world today. Freedom is not found in doing whatever you want. It's not. It's actually, biblically, that's the definition of, of being enslaved. Of following your own heart. In fact, over and over in the Old Testament, whenever people did what was ever right in their own eyes, it only ever led to bondage. Okay? That's the image that the Bible paints for us. Freedom is found in living in confidence in relationship with God and doing the things that God wants us to do. That's where freedom's found. Knowing confidently that God is pleased with me and that I'm walking in the direction that he wants me to be walking in. And what this is going to look like, he tells us, is Christ being formed in us. I love the language. It says, we are uh, uh, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another being transformed to the same image, glory to glory. Part of the spirit of God at work in our lives is there's freedom, confidence with God, doing the things that God desires for us to do. All right, last thing. When the spirit shows up, there are gifts. I'm going to read, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a few verses to you. It says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay? So basically what they say is there's unity in the spirit. He's going to pour out his spirit upon different people, and it's the same spirit, but he's going to work in different ways in different people's lives. Does that make sense? That God is going to work in different ways in different people's lives. And then it says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That God pours out his spirit upon our lives. He gives us gifts through the spirit for the common good. To glorify and edify the church. And then he gives description of, the apostle Paul gives description of what that's going to look like. For to one given the, the, through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, what he says is when the Holy Spirit shows up, he brings gifts. He's a good, he's a good house guest. Right, he shows up. If you ever remember when your parents would go out of town, maybe your parents weren't like this, but they would go out of town and they'd come back and sometimes they'd bring a gift. And it was like, oh, that was, you thought about me and you brought me whatever, some like little knickknack. My dad used to go to Africa all the time when we were young and he used to always bring back these massive djembes, like drums, hand carved and made um, in Africa. And the stories were always hilarious because he would, he would go there and people would like kind of haggle and he would set down a $20 bill and he's like, our bus is driving away from here in half an hour. I will pay $20 for that djembe, um, or I'm not going to pay anything at all. And because they want to, like, go back and forth. If it's kind of the he's like, 20 bucks? I'll see you in half an hour. And then he'd come back and, like, we're doing the deal or not? And they're like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, it, it just was a funny tactic that he had. Anyways, so he'd come back with these massive djembe. He's a good, he would bring good gifts. That's the point. The Holy Spirit, when he shows up, we're told that he brings good gifts. And the gifts, he gives a whole list, some wisdom and knowledge. It's the ability to, uh, honestly, it is to know things that, that, that um, have been revealed to you by God. Wisdom, maybe it's from the word of God. Knowledge, it might be about somebody else's life. That you, you just have this impression, like maybe they're going through this, I'm going to say something. Prophecy is, is the design of God's word. It, it is to speak in agreement with God's word to build up um, there's uh, different tongues or different languages. Uh, sometimes it's, it, it's uh, languages that people understand, right? It would be like there's a story in the um, uh, book of Acts where God's spirit shows up and people start speaking languages that they don't understand. It would be like me. We've got a lot of foreign exchange students here tonight. Um, it would be like me all of a sudden empowered by the spirit of God speaking like Italian or uh, Portuguese or uh, French or what else do we have? German. Who else? Did I say you guys? Everybody else? English? Filipino? Anyone else? Okay, I got them all then. I don't know. Um, you guys are like, what is he saying? <laughs> um, so the Spirit of God, and so sometimes it's like that. Other times it's a heavenly language. It's a prayer language. And he says other people get the interpretation of that language. Whatever the case, the Spirit of God shows up, and he gives gifts that empower the follower to do something that brings glory to God and is for the common good of the church. That's what he says. So the Spirit of God brings gifts. God gives spiritual gifts to his people through his Spirit to serve, worship, and point to him. All right, I'm going to close. Worship team, you guys can come up here. As we close and as we think about all of this, because I kind of like turn on the fire hose for you tonight about the presence of God, who he is. Let me say this again. The, the presence of God is a person. He's the Holy Spirit, and he wants to be in relationship with you. Now, this is important. It's not super important that we get lost here. The Holy Spirit is not different, or he's different than God, but he's not separate from God the Father and God the Son. The Holy, when I'm saying the Holy Spirit, I'm speaking of God. I'm speaking the Spirit of Christ in you. That's what we're talking about. He wants to be in relationship with you, in fellowship with you, and he wants to be present in your life. 
He's everywhere all the time. God is everywhere all the time. But he wants to meet with you in private. He also wants to meet with you in public. And he wants to reveal who he is to you and the plans that he has for you as you walk in relationship with him. And what that's going to look like is him convicting you or convincing you of your need for more of Jesus. It's going to look like power to be a witness to Jesus. It's going to look like freedom, confidence to live and do the things that God wants you to do. And it's going to look like gifts that benefit the church as for the common good that brings glory to God. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. God promises that he's always present, he's always with us, but there are specific places that we can encounter him in unique ways. Now, I want you to notice as we close that music and feelings have almost nothing to do with the presence of God. You'll often hear people say, and I've said this before, you'll hear people say that God is enthroned upon the praise of his people implying that God is more present in music. They're they're taking that from a a verse in Psalm. What the Psalm actually says, because that verse is taken out of context, what the Psalm actually says is that God is the one whom Israel praises. That's what the verse says. That God is the one who is, uh, uh, that Israel praises. But, But through translation, partially the New King James Version's fault, says that God is enthroned upon the praises of the people. That's not what it says. It's that God is the one that Israel praises. So I just want you to see that distinction for a moment. The point I'm trying to make in bringing that up is that music or feeling almost has nothing to do with the presence of God. Because listen, God's presence is a reality. Just because you don't see him or feel him doesn't mean he isn't there. He's just as much there when we don't sense, feel, or believe he's still there. This is so stupid, but I'm going to do it anyways, okay? Sorry, Jared. I'm leaving. Okay, you guys can hear me. You see me. you You know I exist. But you guys can still hear me. And, and just because you don't see me doesn't mean I'm not there and doesn't mean you can't hear me. And I think it's important for us to realize that just because you can't see God, just because oftentimes it feels like God's sort of way hidden and out of the way, that doesn't make his voice any less real in our life. And sometimes we think that just because he's invisible doesn't mean he's real. Let me tell you that we worship a God who is spirit. He is invisible, yet he's real. And just because you can't see something doesn't make it not real. And it's important for us. It's important for us as we as we walk with God, that we become more aware of God's presence. We're not not saying here like, okay, you have to believe that he's actually there. He is there. God is always there. Our job, as we walk with God, the goal then for us is simply to learn to live with more awareness of God's presence so he can work in our life the way that he desires. More awareness of God's presence.
He's here. With that, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let me pray for you.